I like how Brian kids himself that he will only eat two desserts if somebody pays for it. <laughs> well, it is nice to be back. Wow, this is one full room. It is flat out freezing here, I can tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Al's offering me a blanket while I preach. <laughs> I'm going to, can I move this? Can I move this forward? Okay. I, I'm used to actually having a lot of room when I preach, where, where, I, where we go to church and where I preach, I have all this space. But last week, actually, while I was preaching, there was two dogs running around the church. And I very nearly stepped on one as I was preaching last week. Unfortunately, they belong to somebody who goes to the church, so that wasn't, that wasn't the best thing. Well, it is great to be back here this morning. It's been a, uh, a wild four, three, four days for us uh, being here and coming back into this culture and remembering how different things are here as opposed to where we live. Uh, the roads are really nice here. We forgot about that. People drive in their lane. That's really nice. People, there's not motorcycles coming at you in the wrong direction on your side of the road. That's something really nice. Um, there's a lot of choices. Walmart, wow, that was fantastic. Going, we went to Walmart twice in the same day. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. We actually have a Walmart. It's called La Serena. It's not the same thing, but it's close. Um, but it's just really, really great to be back and to be back home. And um, it's funny, for missionaries, you go through this strange process of leaving home and going to a new country. And now coming here, we leave home and we come back home. And it's this weird place that we live about home and home. And what we're going to talk about today is where our home actually is. Okay? If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, turn with me to uh, the book of Psalms. And uh, before I actually preach this morning, which I'm not going to do a ton of preaching, to be honest with you, I'm going to do a lot more sharing this morning. Um, I thought for those of you that don't know us and you don't know what we do, and uh, Brian, I won't add to a whole lot of what Brian said, um, but I thought I would tell you a little bit about our ministry and at least show you a few pictures. Some of you have been there to visit. That's fantastic. Lindsay and I serve with an organization called Students International. Uh, Students International is in five, no, six countries now, six countries now, um, Students International is very unique in the ministry that they do. That's one of the things that we like about it. But Students International is divided into two very distinct parts. Uh, one part is our short-term ministry that we do. Some of you have been on these missions trips. Um, in the DR alone, we host about 700 students and adults per year on short-term missions trips. Uh, we have 10 to 12 summer interns. We do uh, professional teams, dental and medical teams. Um, we do, why do I have a four there? I don't know what that four is for. We do a gap year. Oh, do we, we have four different ones. I'm sorry. That's what that's for. We work with four different gap year discipleship programs. And if you don't know what that is, what that is is kids take a year off of college, either before, after, or during, and they go and they study, and they're discipled by good people. And uh, they come down and they serve with us for a week or two at different times of the year. And then we also do a semester study abroad program where kids from Bethel College in Indiana come down and they spend um, about 12 weeks with us in the fall. They're actually in the DR right now. Um, they, uh, they work on our ministry sites, they learn Spanish, and they learn about the Dominican culture. Okay, so that's half of our ministry. The other half of our ministry is long-term ministry. Um, we have 15 what we call occupational ministry sites uh, and about 55 full-time staff. Um, you can see at the bottom there, I just listed them out for you real quick. But we have three preschools. We have a special education school. Uh, we are just now starting English education in the public schools. Uh, we do dental, medical, microfinance, construction, social work for women, social work for boys, and sports for boys and sports for girls. So you just get a little idea of what we do there. Um, it's kind of hard to describe and hard to, uh, to really understand. For those of you that have been there, you guys will probably go like this. It's pretty hard to understand until you've seen it. Um, 
But what I do or what we do is, uh, if you look at this picture here, this is all of our full-time staff in this picture, or almost all of them. Some of them weren't there. But um, other than a, about 10, of, 10 or so of those people in that picture, my job and Lindsay's job, what we do is we take care of and we oversee the work that all of these people do. And uh, that, that, that requires a lot of different things. And uh, sometimes I feel like I'm a business manager and running ministry sites and taking care of money. And some days I have to put on my pastoral care hat and I have to sit in my office and talk through losses and talk through um, problems. And uh, some days I get to put on my preacher hat and I get to teach and preach. Um, it, just, uh, it just varies from uh, thing to thing. But we work in long-term ministry is what we do. Uh, here's just a few pictures just so you get a, a little idea of what we do. Not much, but... Um, Top, you see one of our preschools and uh, the kids that go to our schools. On the right there is Alberto. He's uh, one of our Dominican staff. He, uh, he teaches at a different preschool. Uh, this guy right here is Dr. Fernando. He's our staff doctor. And um, actually, starting in January, we will have two medical sites. We'll be doing hospital medicine, and then we'll also be doing community medicine in the poor communities. Uh, sports, and then this is Leo. He's a Dominican guy who does social work with young boys in poor communities. So I'll just give you a, a quick peek of what we do. Um, so the way our ministry works is now we take these short-term teams and we go like this. And we take long-term ministry and short-term teams and we try to put them together. And uh, look, Robin, you made it. <laughs> so there's Robin serving with Miriam in our microfinance site. Fernando teaching. I have no idea what they're doing there. I probably don't want to know. Um, is that the chicken day, Robin? That's not the chicken day. <laughs> Does everybody know about that? Robin tore the heads off chickens. <laughs> show him, Robin. Show you how you do it. <laughs> Here's Raul with a group of students and a group of boys at his sports site. They're praying together. And then this is Daisy um, at one of the social work sites. Here's just a few pictures of us and some things we do. Get to work with a lot of staff. This was a staff going out and a staff coming in and taking their place. And so I got to do a lot of transition work with those guys um, with their site and personally and things like that. Uh, there's me preaching one morning. Here's Lindsay. Lindsay serves one day a week up at a social work site in a poor community, doing crafts and teaching Bible lessons and things like that, and uh, has found a real friend in Daisy. And then uh, this is when we were building our new dental site, and I put that picture in because if you guys remember, this church sent a team down here and sent money along with the team, and that money helped finish our new dental site, which sees... Um, Let's see, she sees about 25 to 30 people a week offering dental care at a very, very affordable cost for people that otherwise wouldn't be able to receive it. So anyway, there's just a, a quick picture of what we do. And uh, I realize I, I could talk for hours and hours, but I'd probably be hours and hours of sleep for all of you if I sat here and talked about all that. What I want to do today, though, is I want to look at, at a verse or a couple of verses here in the Bible. And I, I want to relate some of the stories and things that we've experienced in two years in serving. Now, I'm not sure exactly how you sum up two years of ministry into one message. I don't, maybe that's possible, not for me. Um, but what I thought I would cover, or at least talk about in some extent, is a question that Lindsay and I ask ourselves over and over and over again. And often it's on bad days, I'll, I'll say that. But the question we ask is, is this worth it? Is what we go through here, is it worth it? And so hopefully we'll, we'll answer that today. Now, just so you know, I, I had a hard time putting this message together. I was like, I didn't know exactly what to say. And like, how do you come home and tell everybody and preach? I don't know how that works. Lindsay says, well, just pick a verse that means a lot to you, that's meant a lot to you for two years, and preach on that. I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll try. 
I was like, well, how do you preach on the whole Bible? I don't know. How do you, how do you preach on the whole Bible in one sermon? I, you ever done that? Jesus, Jesus sorry. <laughs> Today, what I want to look at is, is what we do worth it, okay? Now, some of you may come up with a different opinion when we're done, but I'm going to tell you and show you where we've landed, okay? I'm going to talk this morning about, is it worth it to us? Because what we're going to talk about is pain and sacrifice and fun and good things and amazing blessings. Not just sacrifices on our part, but sacrifices on so many people here financially and in prayer. Lindsay always says to me, if it's about us, then no, this isn't worth it. But if what we do is about God, then of course it is. Anything is. Today I want to talk about what we've learned that, would, that gives her that answer, gives us both that answer. All right, so if you're in Psalm 30, I'm going to read a story here. As you guys get there, I'm sorry, Psalm 34 first. But uh, you guys remember a guy named Douglas MacArthur. He was a war hero back in World War II. And uh, he studied at West Point. And he recounts this story. He says, The first section was studying the time-space relationship later formulated by Einstein and his theory of relativity. Okay, so the first thing Doug, Douglas MacArthur had to study at West Point was about time-space relationship. I should tell you something about West Point. He says, The text was complex, and being unable to comprehend it, I just committed the pages to memory. When I was called upon to recite it, I solemnly reeled off word for word what the book said. Our instructor, Colonel Feiberger, looked at me somewhat quizzically and asked, Do you understand this theory? It was a bad moment for me, but I didn't hesitate in replying. Oh, sir. You could have heard a pin drop. I braced myself and waited. And the slow words of the professor, Neither do I, Mr. MacArthur. Session dismissed. <laughs> now, I tell you that story because of this. Because two years ago, when Lindsay and I walked out of here, I would say we knew the Bible, at least somewhat. I would say we could have recited verses to you. I could even have told you about the goodness of God and how I had seen him work. But two years later, I can tell you that we've experienced it in our hearts. Look at what Psalm 34 says. I'm going to try. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his, all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Now listen to what he says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his, you, his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In this, the psalmist uses this phrase, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I'll give you a little cultural example of this, okay? In Spanish, we have a couple words, um, or several words, that actually translate back to the same word in English. One of them is uh, the word, when we would say to know, like to know in your brain, okay? But in Spanish, they have two words for that. Where's my Spanish speakers? Where's Lori, right? We have two words here. We have saber and conocer. I think I put them up here, didn't I? There they are, okay? The bottom, to know, saber and conocer, Okay? Now, 
The other word here is to try. Okay, we would say to try. Or in this case, the psalmist is saying to taste. Okay? In Spanish, they would say tratar o probar. But the reason I bring this up is this. This word that the psalmist uses in these words in Spanish, probar and conocer, are used differently than for us to try and to know. Those words are about putting your hands on something, about putting it in your mouth, about seeing it with your own eyes. See, for us to say, yeah, I know. You guys ever heard this phrase? I use this phrase all the time. Yeah, I know, but I don't really know. Right? We say this all the time. Like, do you know? I mean, do you really know? And to somebody in Spanish, you can say, tu sabes, pero tu no conoces. You know, but you don't really know. For Lindsay and I, that was us two years ago. We knew but we didn't really know. Now we've put our hands on it. Now that we have tasted and seen, the Lord is good. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at Psalm 30, okay? Psalm 30 would be the verse, if I had to choose just one out of the Bible, that I would say I have gone to more and more than any other verse in the last two years, this would be it. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. I'm going to have to read out my Bible here. O Lord, you have brought my soul from Sheol. You restored to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now if you listen to that, that psalm, you hear the back and forth, the highs that David would have felt. And then he talks about going down in the pit and facing death. But who does he ascribe all of it to? Every high and every low, if you look, Lord, my God, Lord, Lord, I call to you, Lord. The highs and the lows he gives to God. And I think we taste God by going on those highs and going on those lows, but all the time keeping our eyes focused on him. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to share with you some stories of amazing highs and amazing blessings that we felt as missionaries. And I'm going to share with you some stories of some pretty awful lows and things that we've felt in two years. And maybe on the other side, we can see something together. There's a guy named R.C. Chapman. He's a devout Christian. He was asked how he was feeling. And he says, I'm burdened this morning. But his happy countenance contradicted his words. So his questioner exclaimed in surprise, are you really burdened, Mr. Chapman? Yes, but it's a wonderful burden. 
It's an overabundance of blessings for which I cannot find enough time or words to express my gratitude. Seeing the puzzled look on his face, Chapman added with a smile, I'm referring to Psalm 68:19, which fully describes my condition. In that verse, the Father in heaven reminds us daily that he loads us with benefits. Now, I like that story because it reminds us that we are burdened daily with the blessings of God. And Lindsay and I have experienced a ton of this. But I can tell you, in, in my fortunate state in the last, well, I wouldn't say it's always fortunate because sometimes I get asked on Friday night at 10 o'clock to preach on Sunday morning and that's not always the best way to prepare. But I've had the awesome privilege of preaching, what, at least every other Sunday or more for the past six months. And something I love doing. But in the last few weeks, I realized something that I was doing that I actually I think I was taught is that every Sunday I share the same message. Every Sunday I share the same message. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You guys, the most amazing blessing that Lindsay and I have ever experienced has nothing to do with being missionaries. It has nothing to do with being anything other than being sinners before God and understanding that God sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And only through belief in him are we saved. That is the amazing blessing that I'll bring to you today. That no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter how much you've served or how little, Christ died for you. Romans 8 says that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But the amazing part of that is, in my opinion, is that that alone would be enough, right? Salvation alone would be enough, but God doesn't stop there. He blesses us over and over and over again if we remember to look to him. So how has God blessed Lindsay and I in our lives? Well, one of the biggest ways that he's blessed us over and over and over again is visitors to come and visit us. Okay? Now, this church alone has sent two teams of people. But outside of that, we have had visitors in our house almost as many weeks as we haven't, or at least it seems that way. Now, some of them stay for a long time. Some of them stay for a short period of time. Some of them get hurt. Some of them get hurt at the bottom of 700-foot mountains where I have to carry them up on my back, <laughs> right? <laughs> Some of them wreck their motorcycles. Some of them scream at every chicken, dog, and pig that runs across the road. But all of them bless us in our lives, all of them. Some of them kill chickens. <laughs> the hardest thing by far I can tell you this unequivocally the hardest thing that Lindsay and I have experienced about being a missionary is the loneliness that we feel being far from all of you we can be in the car together all five of us going somewhere and I can feel so alone and distant and it's because our families are here. 
Our friends are here. We feel loved here, just like we have this morning. And when people come and they sit in our couch and they sit in our car and they walk aside us down the roads that we walk, you have no idea how much that blesses our life. And then we get to do fun stuff like rafting and hiking up mountains. We've also been blessed financially. In this day and age, when we, 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 when we decided to be missionaries, one of the things that people said to us is, are you guys nuts? Do you have any idea what the economy is like right now? you have any idea? You're never going to sell your house. You're never going to raise enough support. You're never going to be able to do all the things you need to do because there's just enough, not enough money. And in two years, we have been fully supported every month. Now, I would be a bad missionary if I didn't tell you that we need to raise support now. Okay? (laughs) Because we do. But God has provided for us over and over and over again. Just a couple weeks ago, as we were preparing to leave, we got an email from one of our supporters, and he said, I'm very sorry. We're going to have to stop supporting you. I'm losing work, and I I just can't. We can't do it anymore. A very large supporter, too. And we started praying and started doing what we do best, which was worrying. And it wasn't two days later we got an email that said, we're going to raise our support for you, just totally out of the blue. It didn't cover it all. But God said, don't you forget who's in control. It's not you. Just quit worrying. I will bless you in my time. We've been blessed by emails. We've been blessed by phone calls. We've been blessed by surprise checks in the mail. We've been blessed by surprise boxes. God's blessings have rained down on us in two years over and over and over again. Incredibly so. And then God does something amazing. He takes all those blessings and he allows Lindsay and I to give them away to others. The guy there in the middle, his name is Anthony. He comes to our house on Saturdays, or used to, to, um, to wash our car. And he, he's a shoeshine boy, is what we would call him. Now, in the DR, the shoeshine boys, what they do is they walk around the streets and they have this little box and they have stuff there and they will stop you and for 10 pesos or whatever you want to give them, they'll clean your shoes for you. And he comes over with his box and um, he will clean shoes if we ask him to. He'll sweep the patio if we ask him to. He'll just do anything he can to work. And um, one of the cool things about Anthony is I asked him very early on, you know, why he did this. And he said, well, my family doesn't have any money. He said, so whatever I make, I give half to my mom and I keep the other half for myself and it helps buy food for their family. Well, one day, not that long ago, actually back in April, his dad, who's, um, I gotta, how do I do this? That guy right there, his name's Tony. Um, he showed up at the gate and Lindsay was there and Dominican Spanish is not very good, okay? So Lindsay couldn't understand what he was saying. So she calls me and she says, I think Anthony's been in an accident. Can you come home and talk to this guy? So I ran home and come to find out Anthony had been at our house and Lindsay had asked him to come back when my bike and the car would be there so he could wash it. And while he was out walking at other houses, he got hit by a motorcycle and um, ended up in the hospital and uh, God blessed us and blessed his dad by giving me 10 years in the orthopedic business to know what it is that was going on with his son and I could read what he needed and what they needed was money to buy the parts for the external fixator that you can see there on the bottom of his leg right here. 
Because in that country, in the DR, you don't get the medical care and then figure out how to pay for it later. Until you have the money, they won't do the work. So he was laying in a hospital bed with an open wound on his leg, bone sticking out, just waiting for surgery until they had the money to pay for it. Well, God had blessed us just a few weeks before that with a check from a church that I grew up in. Who, they're not supporters of ours per se, but yet they had sent us this money. They said they wanted to send us some money, and they had, and it was for a few hundred dollars. And we had this check sitting on the desk, and we hadn't done anything with it. We didn't really know exactly what to do. I mean, we always have needs that come up. We didn't know what to do with this check. It just sat there. We were busy. So I went inside, and I looked at Lindsay. I said, this is what they need. She said, do you want me to grab the check or do you want to? I said, let's go. We went and we cashed the check and we gave them the money. We had enough money to pay for all the parts. We gave them some money for dinner. And we had just enough money left over for the five of us to go to Burger King and talk about what happened. And to explain to our kids the blessing that we had received that God allowed us to use for somebody else. And over and over and over. I could do this, I, guys, I could do this for hours, tell you stories like this. So I just went to visit Anthony. Uh, you can see in the DR, when you take a family photo, you don't smile. Uh, that's just, I don't know why they do that. That's just a rule. So I didn't smile either. Um, I thought it would be weird if I was smiling, you know, and there he's sitting there and nobody's smiling. So I asked them before I took the picture, I said, you're going to smile or not? They said, nope. I said, there you go. No smiles then. So this is Anthony, his brother now. He comes to our house on Saturdays and works where Anthony was going, would have worked. And he does the same thing. He keeps half the money and gives half to his mom. There's Anthony's mom and then his two sisters. And then one of his sisters has a little daughter. So anyway, just a really cool story about how God blessed us. And we were allowed to give that blessing on to somebody else. Now, I want to turn now a little bit. And I want to talk about some of the hardships and disappointments that we faced. Okay. The rest of that verse in Romans, actually, a little later on, Paul says, As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And he's actually quoting Psalm 44 there. If you look, yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that's interesting that Paul, writing in Romans, would have said that. But if, because if you remember in the book of Acts, when Paul was struck by God and became a believer, God said something to Ananias. He said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, I would never claim to be on the same levels of the Apostle Paul. However, I know, because Jesus said, that as believers... We are called to suffer for the name of Christ. It's written. That's what we're called to do. And I wonder if you guys are a lot like us. When that persecution persecution comes, when that suffering comes, do you run from it like Lindsay and I do? Do you try to find comfort and try to find a place where it's safe rather than standing up? And facing it head on. Now, some of the stuff I'm going to talk about, it's not all spiritual. Maybe it is. Depends on how you look at it. Some of the things that we've faced in two years, we have all been sick. And I don't mean sick like (coughs) sick. 
Um, last summer, Lindsay and I both had an amoeba. If you've never had one of those, you should try it out. Okay? It's really quite fun. You get to take a lot of time off of work, spend a lot of time in bed. Well, not so much time in bed, a lot of time in the bathroom. Okay? You divide your time equally between the bed and the bathroom. Okay? Um, and you, then, then the best part of an amoeba, let me just tell you this, the best part of having an amoeba, other than the weight loss, which is good, okay, is the drugs that you have to take to kill an amoeba make you sicker than the amoeba itself. Okay? Amoebas are fun. We've had a thing called pinworm. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a type of parasite. But it's, a, it's kind of an aggressive parasite. It can actually just travel around your house. So you sit down on a, on a, on a couch or on a table, and then somebody else sits down, you can get pinworm that easily. Okay? We've had bacteria. We've had broken arms. We've had trips to the eye doctor for Amanda, where we spent five hours at the eye doctor, only to find out that he wouldn't prescribe for her the glasses that she needed because his techniques were old from the 60s and 70s. We, most, we live most days without electricity in our house. Well, sometimes we have electricity, sometimes we don't. You never really know. That's kind of the fun. It's kind of like a game. You know, like sometimes it's out in the morning, sometimes it's out in the afternoon, sometimes it's out all day, sometimes it's out at night. It's kind of a fun thing we do. We've had the water in our cistern that feeds our house stolen by our neighbors. Because they were building their house, and the guys working there ran out of water. And because the city water just comes in whenever, that's why you have a cistern to begin with, they just decided while we were out for the day that they would take the hose over and empty our cistern. And that's exactly what they did. We've been broken into twice. They tried to steal Al's motorcycle two times. We even had our dog, our family dog Gus, who some of you know, eat rat poison and go through a week of thinking he was going to die and having to make multiple trips to the vet to keep him alive. Now, does this fall under persecution? No. But they are things that we've suffered through and it keeps us from doing our job. And sometimes, dare I say it, it keeps us from keeping our eyes on God. Because we get this woe is me mentality. God, why did you bring us here? Why are you putting us through this? Why don't we have electricity? Why don't we have water? Why are you killing our dog? Or when I had the amoeba, I thought, why are you killing me? (laughs) But I can tell you this. Lindsay and I have made a decision in our minds to suffer for the sake of Christ. In some days, that's a lot easier to do than others. But I can tell you, the end of our days, when we ask that question, is it worth it? It always comes back to that decision. That God called all of us to suffer for his name. Joyce, do you still have my magic trick? But the other thing that we deal with, too. (laughs) This might make a mess, I'm sorry. But the other thing we deal with, too, is definitely spiritual. And I can put, the only way I can put it to you is by demonstrating it. But all of us have a spiritual tank that needs to be filled by God. That's why people like us harp on quiet time and devotional times and spending time in the Word and spending time in prayer. Why? So God can fill you up to go out and proclaim His Word. 
But the thing that happens to us over and over again is that our spiritual tank gets poured out just like a bottle of water. That's just living there. That's just all the things I just described to you. And then I have to go to my office and I have to hear about a staff person who's being solicited for sex by people in the community or going to a funeral and holding the hand of a person while they die. And my spiritual tank goes down again. And then on Sunday morning, we go to a church that's only in Spanish. And you hear every other word, maybe. And at the end of the sermon, you say, what? And that's when you understood everything. And down goes your spiritual tank again. For us, the hardest thing has been living on empty. It's been learning to be filled by God in times where you feel so dry, when you feel like you have nothing left to give. And then you know what happens? Then the real persecution comes. Then people start to attack our faith. People say things to us, and I'm good th- I put these in quotes in my notes, and I put them in quotes because people said these things directly to my wife and I. People said, this is out of the mouth of a believer. It doesn't matter if you are a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu. As long as you worship, worship Jesus, then you're fine. That's from a leader of a ministry, if you could call it that. I have been looked in the eye by staff people and says, if you don't believe in prophecy, how do you even know God wants you here in the DR? Been told, we can't listen to your teaching because you treat us like employees by telling us we have to be on time for work. And every time we hear these words, our hearts break. See, it's funny, isn't it, that the persecution comes not at the hands of non-believers, although that has happened, but the persecution that we feel more often than not comes from the hands of people who would say they believe in the Bible, that they believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Yet these are the things they say. And you're running on an empty tank to begin with. And then the persecution from within the church comes. Now, I want to share a story with you. It kind of puts those things together. Lindsay and I attended a retreat. And um, I'm not sure how I can accurately describe the speaker and be appropriate in church. Um, Let's just say it wasn't very good. How about that? Can I say that? Is that? Okay, it wasn't very good. It wasn't very biblical. How about that? Can I say it that way? Okay wasn't very biblical. But this retreat was done within our ministry. And as a leader in our ministry, part of my responsibility is the spiritual content that goes on within what we do. And so I spoke up and said, this is not right. This can't go on. And I was told, you hold the Bible to such a level that you don't even hear what God says. I was told... 
unequivocally that my opinion of Scripture was too high. And I can tell you, this, when this happened, we were here to begin with. And it only got worse. And the email I wrote said this. It said, we are under a huge spiritual attack right now. It's obvious to Lindsay and I that Satan does not want us here and does not want us in this ministry. And I never say stuff like that because I think it's said too often. But I can't even begin to describe to you how hard the last few weeks have been. I am fighting for truth on every single front of our lives. There are no circles in the community that we touch that we are not fighting for the truth of the Bible and the purity of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. I feel like I'm swimming in the deep end and I'm getting weary and unable to tread much longer. How much more of this can we take? How much more of this can we fight before I just have to give up and commit these people to the false truth they believe? I know that you of all people would understand. You have been faithful to the scriptures and to the cross for as long as I've known you. And I'm fighting the battles that you trained me to fight. And part of me knows that we have many more battles to fight on this front, probably for the rest of our lives. But today, I just need to know that it's worth it. I need to know that the battle for truth that you fight for, that we share articles about, that we have talked about so much, I need to know that it's worth the pain I feel right now, the hurt Lindsay and I are feeling, the loneliness that won't go away. We work in this big ministry, and I feel like we're the only ones here. The email I received back said this. It said, Jay, I'm praying for you. It's very lonely when you see the truth. Satan wants nothing to do with the truth, and the Christians... Just want to get along with whatever seems to be working. Let me guess. The rest of the leaders will all say they didn't agree with the guy either, but didn't want to make a scene, and they think you should just go along with that too. In other words, you're right in your discernment, but wrong in dissing the guy. Let me know how the meeting goes with them. Meanwhile, many times I have found strength in this paragraph. I even framed it for frequent reference. It's from John MacArthur. It says, stick with your work. Do not flinch because the lion roars. Do not stop to stone the devil's dogs. Do not fool away your time chasing the devil's rabbits. Do your work. Let liars lie. Let sectarians quarrel. Let critics malign. Let enemies accuse. Let the devil do his worst. But see to it, nothing hinders you from fulfilling with joy the work God has given you. He has not commanded you to be admired or esteemed. He has never bidden you to defend your character. He has not set you at work to contradict falsehood about yourself which Satan's or God's servants may start to peddle, or to track down every rumor that threatens your reputation. If you do these things, you will do nothing else. You will be at work for yourself and not for the Lord. Keep at your work. Let your aim be as steady as a star. May you be assaulted, wronged, insulted, slandered, wounded and rejected, misunderstood or assigned impure motives. You may be abused by foes, forsaken by friends, and despised and rejected of men. But see to it with steadfast determination, with unfaltering zeal, that you pursue the great purpose of your life and object of your being at until at last you can say, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Email concludes by saying, eager to hear more and in your corner, be. The thing that I most needed at that time was a pastor. The thing that I most needed was to be refilled spiritually. And I wonder, sorry to do this to you, I wonder how many of you take him for granted. I wonder how many of you forget how important truth is. 
and how some of you may fight for it. And when you do, he's in your corner. And I hope those days where you think you're taking it for granted or you're reminded, you'll remember how far away we are and how important his preaching and his teaching and his pastoral duties are to me. So I want to wrap this up by asking this question again. Is this worth it? Can we be like David writing Psalm 30 with highs and lows and over and over again saying, Lord, I extol you. I will sing my praises to you forever. I want to close by just sharing a couple more stories with you. That, um, that's Rudy. And um, Rudy, Rudy worked for our ministry for a long time, and uh, he did construction. And uh, Rudy is a great guy, a believer, a, just a fantastic person. I, I would just say he's a great person, one, one of the nicest and most amiable per- people I've ever met. And you can see Rudy and I had a lot of fun together. This is the day we were cleaning out Fernando's doctor's office. You can see how much work we got done. <laughs> right? Last year, on Amanda's birthday, um, I got a phone call from Rudy. And it had just been the day before that we found out that Rudy's baby, who had been growing in his wife's stomach, was dead. And on the morning of December 8th, he called me and said, "Um, we have to bring the baby up and bury it. Will you meet me at the cemetery? I said, sure, I, I will. I'll be there. So I called our director, who I always take with me on stuff like this because I'm not always sure what to say and he's not always sure what to say. And between the two of us, sometimes we, sometimes we come up with something intelligent to say. Well, I met Rudy over at the cemetery and I didn't really know what to expect, but I took my Bible along with me, my Spanish and English Bible. And uh, we got there. Rudy arrived and we talked for just a few minutes. And then this station wagon pulled in. Remember the old Woody station wagons? Remember those? That's the hearse. In the back of the station wagon was a box, about the size of a shoebox, made out of pine. And the guy driving the station wagon took the box out and set it on a concrete slab that was there. And we walked over, and Rudy picked up that box. And Brian and Rudy and I walked through the cemetery carrying this pine box. Well, we weren't carrying it. He carried it. And we walked, in, in our country, they rarely bury people in the ground. They're all done in mausoleum buildings, these small buildings. And we walked between the buildings, and there was an alleyway about the size of the space between these chairs in the back of two buildings. And there were two men that had dug a hole. And together, we laid the pine box in the ground and buried his unborn son. I didn't know what to do. So I opened my Bible to Ecclesiastes. And it says there's a time for everything under heaven. Time to weep and a time to mourn and a time to rejoice. Well, two days later, Rudy called me and he said, do you have any money? Can can you help me? I need to take some time off work and I need to go to Costanza. 
And I thought, oh, yeah, you got a lot going on. He's like, no, my brother died. So Lindsay and I met him at a gas station and gave him, we filled up his tank and gave him some money. We sent him on his way to go to another funeral for his brother. But sometimes people don't recover from stuff like that. Sometimes you, ju- you just never, sorry, you just never make it outside of yourself again, at least not in the place that you are. So six months later, I had to look Rudy in the eye and say, it's time for you to leave the ministry. I know this is hard, but you have no passion for life and you have no passion for ministry. You don't want to serve. You don't want to minister to the people that God's given you. You need to change. And it's funny, it was hard. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do is look him in the eye and tell him what I told him. But you know what? He'll tell you now it's what he needed. And he still doesn't have work. He's still struggling for money. But he knows that God needed to move within us to move him in his life. And that's the kind of stuff we face. One more story. These are our friends, Dan and Karen. Dan, uh, Dan was our physical therapist and uh, started our physical therapy clinic. And um, really cool thing about this family is um, some of that loneliness that I talked about, you know, you fill it with friends and you fill it with God, but you, you fill it with companionship. And so this family was really fun because Noah and Danny became really good friends. Jakey and Anthony were really good friends. Lindsay and Karen became very good friends. And Dan and I became very good friends. It was one of those families that just clicks. You guys probably know what that's like. But it was one of those families where all of us, we could be together, all of us, and it was fun, or individually we could be together and it was fun. And we had a lot of good times together, all of us. The night, Dan and Karen had made a decision that it was time to go back to the States and um, not be on the mission field anymore. It was, everybody was in total support of that. It was time for them. That's actually true. And so Jakey's birthday, we had the party on a Saturday night, and Dan and Karen were to leave the next morning. And their boys showed up at our house for the party, and I was like, where are your parents? They're supposed to be, we're supposed to be saying goodbye to them tonight. And they're like, well, they had a phone call, I don't know what's going on, whatever. So I called Dan, and he said, they just rushed my dad to the hospital. I don't know what's going on. And two minutes later, he called me or texted me and said, he's gone. And so the last night of spending time with my friend, my good friend, the one who had kind of supported me when things were hard, the one who had built me up when I was empty, I had to hold like this while he wept for his dad that he would never see again after six years on the mission field. 24 more hours, he could have looked his dad in the face. Instead, his dad died. Now, my question for you, the question Lindsay and I ask over and over again is, where do you ascribe your hope? When you list off the things like David did in Psalm 30, and you look at your life and you say, I'm here or I'm here, where do you ascribe the glory for all those things? Do you say, oh God, help me when things are hard? And when things are good, you say, look what I did. Or in the high and the low, do you look directly into the face of God and say, God, I will give you praise. I will give you thanks forever and ever. Can you do that? 
Turn with me over to Psalm 27. Just a page over maybe. I know David did this. I know he did because look what he said. His perspective was not on this earth. Because in 27.4, he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Guys, the thing that Lindsay and I have learned over and over and over again is that an eternal perspective, focusing your eyes on God, is the only way to get through highs and lows. And daily we open our arms like this and grace like rain falls on us. Every single day, blessings from heaven fall if we're willing to look for them. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Will you bow your heads with me and pray?